0: On this episode of Inside MusicCast, we're pleased to welcome two Grammy-winning musicians that have joined forces to create a brand new album titled Double Dealin', which will be released on Shaanakee Records in mid-September. Randy Brecker and Eric Marienthal. Both Eric and Randy have storied careers in the world of jazz. Randy is notorious for his work with the likes of Blood, Sweat & Tears, Horace Silver, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Steely Dan, Bruce Springsteen, Parliament Funkadelic, and of course the Brecker brothers with his brother Michael. Eric's saxophone talent has led him to amazing gigs with Chick Corea, Patty Austin, Lee Rittenauer, Elton John, Billy Joel, Jeff Lorber, Stevie Wonder, and many more. Randy and Eric are good friends, and they've performed together on many occasions. However, this is their first album collaboration, and it's filled with upbeat grooves and fantastic performances. Produced by George Whitty, the album also includes Dave Weckel on drums, John Patitucci on bass, and George Whitty on keys. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Eric Marienthal and Randy Brecker. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Great
1: to be here. Yeah, Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, yeah. Randy and Eric, uh, it's really good to, well, first of all, to welcome two Grammy Award winning yeah. jazz artists to Inside Music Cast at the same time, Rick. Not, not just separate, but at the same time. I know, we're not, not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> so, Randy, of course, you're infamous with uh, your, your horn playing and trumpet and flugelhorn. Eric, uh, we all know you with your, your wonderful sax work. Uh, but before we begin the chat, uh, we really would like to thank uh, Monifa Brown.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Monifa, from Shaniki Entertainment for uh, getting Eric and Randy on our show.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, like Rick said earlier, we can literally spend hours and hours talking about music and your careers but uh, and we'll touch on that a little bit uh, later on but we're here mainly to talk about the brilliant new collaboration that you guys have called Double Dealing which is uh, well well, it's actually going to be released in September Mm -hmm. Uh, but having a sneak peek at this uh, it's a truly fantastic project we agree that you guys have really struck gold on this.
1: Well, thank you very, very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite really, quite the honor to get a chance to um, work with Randy on this. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And likewise,
3: you know, Eric and I have played together. We well, mentioned Jeff and mm-hmm. We played, both played with Jeff, and did several tours along with the grp big band and other uh, recording projects and i've just known him for a long time and i love his playing and just everything about him we just always hit it off
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey eric do you have a bad habit of or a wonderful habit i should say of uh of collaborating with grammy-winning guys from
3: philadelphia hey you're on a road the man it's like not only, history, uh, I not only philadelphia but jeff and i went to the same high school i have a few years on them but oh
1: oh really right. yeah Ham high yeah
3: go great. panthers so go we're panthers. always kidding each other
2: That's a shout out for you jeff if yeah. you're listening yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyway we thought that was sort of funny when we when we thought holy cow jeff's yeah. from philly and Randy's from Wow, that's pretty cool, you know. So, anyway, very good. Well, Randy, we're in Indianapolis, and um, so we're really familiar with the renowned music program at Indiana University, and and that's where you studied. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. And so we basically have one one question for you: Is how were the parties? I mean, no, no, no I'm sorry, wrong
1: question. Uh-huh. No, 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 wrong. Uh, totally wrong question. How would he know? Come <laughs> on. <laughs> It was only in the practice room, that was,
3: I was yeah, I was only practicing twenty-four <laughs> hours a day. That's right. Twenty five. Especially on that campus, right, of course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so 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 Randy, how did you end up in
3: Bloomington at IU? Okay. Well it's a g- good story. When I was fifteen, I went to the Stan Kenton band camp, took mm-hmm. a bus, yep. and it was indeed held. At Indiana University, the music school, the Round Building had just opened. It was brand new, yeah. and I spent two weeks there, and uh, loved the campus, and they were had a lot of funding to bring uh, fantastic professors and teachers from all over the world, some of the best-known pedagogues. Uh, so it was quite amazing, and mm-hmm. when it uh, came time to me, for me to make a choice, I really wanted to go there. I had a good jazz uh, department, which was built up, quite largely when I was there, but it was all around it. Just an amazing music school. I learned so much there. It's a beautiful campus. Made a lot of friends in Indianapolis. David Baker played in his band. Jamie Abersold was on the scene. Jerry Coker, the ABCs of jazz education were right there. So it was a good place to be. Yeah. Very cool.
0: Well, Indianapolis has such a a steep uh, jazz history, too. I mean, a lot of people don't really you know, put those two together, jazz in Indianapolis, at least nowadays, you know, you, well, yeah. pe- people, you know, equate jazz to New Orleans and some other areas of the country. But, you know, Freddie Hubbard, you know, is from Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, Wes Montgomery. Montgomery is from Indianapolis. And actually, Randy, the first time I think I ever saw you play was, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago. You came to Indianapolis and it was a Freddie Hubbard tribute at the, oh, yeah. at the Madam Walker Theater right. for of and part of the jazz uh, festival yeah, that was best, happening yeah. here. And that was fantastic
3: that was was a wonderful show that was a great day it went on forever but it was a great day (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad we made it out of there alive but uh, (laughs) freddie was a special you know what can i say Uh, he was one of my favorite players and the fact that he came from there uh, it's just mind-boggling to me to this day along with slide hampton jj just so many and all the george russell guys were the, on the scene and it was just amazing for the size of the town to have contributed that much to uh, jazz tradition is uh, yeah. quite incredulous really mm-hmm. well going back to
0: IU I, I, there were some, a couple of other uh, players that we've had on the show before one of the guys anyways Jerry Hay uh, who studied at IU and, yeah. uh, and also Chris Bodie uh, was, did you ever cross paths with the other one of those guys
3: well sure throughout the years yeah. uh, both Jerry and Chris Bodie we had, had uh, many sessions together. I remember playing, probably only time live, I think, with Jerry was at one of the, the uh, Newport Jazz Festivals in New York, where we both were playing with Spiro oh. of all people, and they added two trumpets, and we had a ball together that day. <laughs> and of course, I've known him uh, throughout the years and stay in touch and yeah. know all about how great his son is doing as a. Uh, producer and engineer and he really set the standards as far as horn arrangements what can I say yeah. Yeah. and Chris Bodie uh, we played together many sessions in New York and we had a steady gig together we're actually not met my wife but got close to my wife at a place called the Metropolitan New York we had a steady uh, two trumpet ex-studio guy gigs it was like a hangout it became for years so i got to really know him well and play with him every week and uh, i saw the whole transition from being a kind of a studio jazz guy to be a superstar in the uh, music business so it's quite extraordinary to see very cool
0: well eric i'll throw this question to you you and randy have known each other and have played together in some way or form for a lot of years and how far back do you go and, and when did you uh, first cross paths uh we talk about that uh, yeah. we have
1: recently um Let's see. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, various jazz festivals and things we played in the GRP big band uh, years ago mm-hmm. um, for the for the uh, years that that was uh, going on. That that uh, band, well, we made three records, right, Randy?
3: It's funny because we know each other so well, and this happens quite a bit when you're close to somebody. We couldn't quite place the date or the first time that we met. And, and no. I think we decided it was probably we were – Playing in our probably maybe me with Becker Brothers and, and and Eric with Chick where we were playing opposite or we met each other on the road mm-hmm. you know it was probably something like that yeah right, right. exactly but it goes back uh, you know quite a few years now at least thirty years yeah right and
1: more remember one time we were playing um, a uh, a jazz festival in Istanbul and you guys played the night before we did oh and yeah when you were playing it was. Pouring rain. And <laughs> I remember <laughs> that.
3: I remember the flowers I mean, of that one.
1: Yeah. I mean, just you know, a, a lighting guy's dream, you know, it just it <laughs> exactly amazing. And the stage yeah. was yeah. covered. So the, you know, so you guys were playing and, and rocking, uh, but the audience was not. And everybody we thought, you know, we were there and it started pouring. We thought, oh, well, the concert's gonna end, everybody's gonna leave, sure. you know, being from LA. And um Everybody just had their umbrellas, put their umbrellas, and just watched the concert, yeah. and uh, had to have gotten soaked anyway. But uh, it was uh, it was quite the event. <laughs> yeah. Wet jazz in Istanbul,
2: not, <laughs> not Constantinople, <laughs> not Kans- yeah, exactly, not
1: Constantinople. <laughs> right. A little later.
0: So the album project that you are, are about to release here is called Double Dealing. And whose idea was it to collaborate on this new project? And tell us about the, how this all came together.
1: I guess it was about two years ago, I uh, had the honor of putting together a a tribute concert at the Berks Jazz Festival in Redding, Pennsylvania for our very, very dear friend, Chuck Loeb. Yeah, Um, sure. And so it was quite the concert. And one of the bands that played was Metro, one of the bands that Chuck put together with with, uh, Wolfgang Huffner and Mitch Foreman and Will Lee. So Randy and I played with that group, and we finished. And Steve Chapman, my manager, you know, was in the audience, and he came up and said, "Oh man, that was really great." I said, "Thanks." He said, "You and Randy should do a record together." And I said, "Well, first of all, you know, everybody should do a record with Randy Brecker. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that's a good idea, you know, generically. Um, but I, you know, we got to thinking about it, and I actually just, you know, got up the nerve and called Randy, I guess, and, and said, "Hey." And I got this idea, and he was uh, into it He was just so thrilled. And so we uh, thought about somebody to help us put it together and and um, George Whitty, the great producer, mm-hmm. writer, engineer, yeah. um, keyboard player, amazing musician all around, you know, was the first one who came to mind and and he was way into it from the start too. so we uh, we are all in Detroit for the Detroit Jazz Festival that year, and we got together for a breakfast and and talked about it, and um, here we are.
2: Well, you mentioned a couple of the guys that, uh, well, George Whitty, of course, on Keys, but you also invited a, a few other musicians to, to lend support. And, I mean, you have, you have Dave Weckl and John Patitucci, and, and were, were these guys on a shortlist for you, or had you considered the other musicians to support to on the album? How did that come about?
1: Well, they are the short list, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
3: That's
2: a pretty good short
3: list. (laughs) We actually had a couple more ideas, but it it sounded so full. George is is such an expert uh, programmer and all-around musician that uh, we just felt it was kind of done the way it was and without having a whole slew of special guests, you know. We kind of kept this one simple and gave each other plenty of room to stretch out. Yeah and uh, Weckl and, and patatucha were welcome on uh, the tunes they play on. Uh, but it's not a cast of thousands for us, yeah. it's us. So it's, uh, that aspect of it is a pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And plus, John and Dave and Randy and I and George all go back a long way, have a lot of history, and so just putting it together. These kinds of records are just so much fun. You know, it's the farthest thing from animosity or issues of, Any kind whatsoever. It's just, oh, yeah, let's do that. Oh, that was great. Oh, man, yeah. I want (laughs) to, yeah, awesome. You know, before this year came along, you know, everybody was been very, very busy and traveling. And so schedules were really the only uh, uh, issue, which is why it took us a bit of time to get it, you know, happening. But, um, you know, it was uh, well worth the wait for us. Sure.
2: You know, Randy, it's, uh, you know, your beginnings with Blood, Sweat, and Tears and, of course, Horace Silver, you know, Art Blakey and, you know, Jocko and Billy, and, of course, your, your very much missed late brother, Michael. Um, you know, we all miss Michael so much and it's such great music. You've been such a lucky man to have had a chance to work with all these guys, including your brother. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you, know, you know, going from back in 2007 when we lost Michael and to moving ahead into other collaborations. What's that like for you now?
3: Well, it was kind of a process, I must say. You know, mm-hmm. he was very sick for two and a half years. Yeah. yeah. And it was hard uh, to, to see somebody in that dire shape and slowly uh, leaving us and seeing how courageously he fought. And I learned so much from his uh, journey sure. yeah. uh, looking ahead. He was truly a, a man of courage and he uh, was not very private about his disease. He, uh, was very public and and had many many thousands of people uh, offer assistance and uh, testing, uh, sure. so he's really helped the cause. But it was a tough time. I wrote very little music. It was uh, just the wind that sailed out of my uh, sails, so to speak, yeah. for a while. But then I eventually, it became kind of an inspiration to pull myself together and eventually. Uh, it was probably about three years. Well, it was more than that, but it was I eventually put the old, it was like the Blues Brothers Band. Uh, <laughs> got the old band back together and we did a, uh, it was basically a Mike tribute record, but not only to Mike, to others we've lost in the band throughout the years. And we called it the Brecker Brothers Band Reunion, yeah. all with people that had played in the band at various times. Of George, of course, was there and helped amazingly on that record. And I wrote all the material. I think my wife wrote one or two tunes on that too. Yeah. So uh, and after that, you know, that had some success, and uh, I've been very lucky since with uh, with various collaborations and keeping projects going, and just being able to stay working. Of course, everything's a labor of love, but you have to kind of stick at it. And I manage myself, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time doing this. Of course, now suddenly we have. Many weeks of free time. So, so also, um, I know uh, I speak for Eric too. We're still practicing mm-hmm. and trying to stay yeah. busy and, and, of course, promote this project now.
2: Yeah, well, you said the right word. I mean, everything you do, jazz is about love, man. And and uh, you know, knowing that we were going to go into this interview, I w- I started pulling out my albums, my old Brecker albums out, and man, I remember your first album that you had, and and th- I think Michael was on that too. He played sax on it, and uh, that's right. And, and you guys were so young and going for it, and you know the times that you had with Michael, and and having the privilege to work with the Brecker brothers over
3: the years. I mean, you guys released what is it, five or six albums, right? Well, all told, the uh, original deal was with Clive Davis and the new Arista yeah. Records. Arista, not Arista, yeah, exactly. as he corrected me. <laughs> I remember him correcting me when he first started the uh, label. Really? <laughs> and, uh, so that was a six-record deal yeah. from about seventy-five to eighty-two, I guess. And then we took a ten-year break. Didn't intend it to be ten years, but mm-hmm. we had been playing together by then for, uh, for years, you yeah. know. With uh, Various bands, Horace Silver, Dreams, Billy Cobham's band. We did so many records with Billy. So we took a break, and the next thing we know, it's 10 years later, we did play at our club a couple times. Mm -hmm. We put together bands. But then we signed to GRP, and we did two more records. And Mm -hmm. and it tended to do more, but then uh, early in uh, 2000. Three or four is when Mike was taken ill, sadly passed in 2007. I believe that was the year, and uh, that uh, kind of put a crimp in our future plans. Right,
0: exactly. Hey, um, Eric, your last six or seven records have also been on GRP, and I think about 15 solo projects
2: in all. Is Is that right?
1: Is that what you've done? Right, yeah. Yeah. My first six records were on GRP. In fact, my first record, uh, Chick Produced, and, wow. uh, it, yeah, it was a really interesting. Process. You know, here it was my first deal. Actually, I got the deal with GRP through the band, really, through the electric band. John Pettitucci and I um, were approached by Larry Rosen and Dave Grissom about doing our records at the same time. And so we actually had identical deals. I mean, in fact, we, we shared one lawyer and one lawyer fee to get them both done <laughs> at the same exact time. And Chick agreed to uh, produce my record. And it was just so much fun because he was very open to whatever. I wanted to do, but at the same time, you know, I mean, a musician like Chick Corea, you know, obviously is going to leave his stamp on things no matter yeah, what he does. Sure. And uh, and not to mention the fact that he played too. So, yeah. so it was just really, if you're going to have a start in making records as a jazz musician, it would be pretty hard to find somebody better to work with and produce your record than mm-hmm. Chick Corea. Yeah.
0: Well, I think your last project was Bridges, and we briefly talked about Chuck Loeb a, a bit ago, and uh, he played on this album, and uh, I think you also worked with him on your 2010 album It's It's Love. Those, those have got to be some special projects for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Chuck was one of my best friends. We we traveled yeah. for many, many years in all kinds of different situations together, and um, so, yeah, on It's Love, he was a producer, and we, re- we wrote quite a lot together on that record. But then for the next project, we were... You know, we're just working together more and more. It seemed like we were just both doing a lot of the same things, you know. And so one day I thought, wow, you know, what if we did a duet record? You know, just you and me. Yeah. And he said, yeah. And then as we put it together, he started thinking, well, you know, maybe we should flesh it out a little bit. So we have a rhythm section at least on some things. But yeah. But yeah. the idea of that record was to really make every track like a different kind of thing there's one track where it's just he and i and all the percussion is done with the clicking of my keys on my horn okay I stuck the mic down the bell I, I kind of auditioned like you know the baritone sound good a tenor soprano the alto the overtones of the clicking just worked the best and sure. so i did that and and we were given license you know danny weiss was really into saying hey man you know it's all going to be good so go for it and yeah, we all miss Chuck, he, yeah. he was just such an amazing guy.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: You know, talking about
2: collaborations, because all the guys that we've, we're mentioning right now are, you know, whether it's Patatucci or Weckl or anybody, all the jazz guys have this innate ability to, to collaborate, right? I mean, we look at over the years, I mean, gee, was something to come to mind are, you know, Satchmo and the Duke and, and Coltrane and Miles, that kind of stuff. And so there's so much collaboration going on. And and what you guys have done here is just a new You know, modern version of what's happening in jazz, which is always rolling into collaboration. So the question is, you know, knowing each other in the past and your history of working together, were there any conflicts at all? I mean, when you came to the table and and, uh, and Eric, when Randy basically said, yeah, let's do the project. I mean, did you have to talk about this as to how you were going to work
1: together, as to write together? How did that creative process work with you? It just flowed. I mean, Mm -hmm. what can I say? You know, a lot of it was both Randy and I bouncing off of George. George Ah, Whitby. You know, he, you know, gotta say, you know, he was sort of the captain of the ship, you know, as a producer. And it was interesting because we had a certain idea of what the direction of the record kind of. Yeah. The direction of the record, you put two horn players in a rhythm section together and you want it to be a contemporary record, and it's already kind of going, you know, northwest, you know, sort of north by northeast or whatever. And so it flowed pretty organically. It was never a time when we said, oh, this tune is not going to fit in this mold, you know? I mean, you know, all the pegs were square and they all fit into the square hole, you know?
3: Even in the mixing process, this is where you can run into trouble, you know, because everyone has their own ideas. But even that, because I think we're all professionals and we've done this so many times, uh, there were, everyone hears things uh, in their own way to some extent, but even then, it was, we were all pretty much on the same page all the time. And I think we really got some really good sounding stuff out of that. Mm-hmm. And there was not even a problem in that, in, in that uh, element of the uh,
1: production. Right. Just, that's a good point. You know, the mix has so much to do with the impact of the music, you know, the way you hear it. And like, do you want it to be really upfront and dry? Do you want it to be affected and yeah. and large? And, uh, but, you know, are we worried about it sounding dated or, you know, or going over the top with like, you know, right? and uh, yeah, Randy's absolutely right. It could go, you know, you could have three different people, me and and George and Randy having very different ideas as to how the overall sound of the record should be. And, and um, no, you're, you're on the same page. Yeah. Well, I'm
0: a recording engineer, so I'm always curious about the process uh, and, and how you guys work together. And, and I'm assuming that you probably worked remotely. You're both on a different coast. And and so did you actually ever get in the same room together uh, to record this stuff, or did you do it all remotely?
1: The original plan was to try to do it together. Yeah. But, um, you know, things uh, such as they are kind of uh, curtailed that idea. So mm-hmm. it was remote, right,
3: Randy? Yeah, it was all remote, but a lot of communication back and forth uh, during the whole time.
0: Do you think, I'm just curious, do you think that, you know, most of our guests when we've asked this question have similar answers? Uh, They vary, you know, a little bit, but do you think that uh, the process of working remotely as opposed to being in the same room? Do you think you miss anything anywhere along the lines by not being in the same room together? Like just just an you know just an eyeball contact, or just that you know whatever it might be if you're actually performing in the same room together as opposed to doing it yourselves and then mixing it later. Do you, do you, what's your, what are your thoughts
1: about that? T- to me, it's just different. Yeah, you know we're we're dealing with uh, you know where we're where we're at you know, sure. in 2020, you know, and yep. and so I, we're, I don't think the way we made our record, I think it all worked out fantastically well, I wouldn't change a thing, you know. But it's just, it's, it's a different approach, you know, when, if you're in the same room together, then, you know, you're, yeah, you're right, you're able to have eye contact. And I think either way, you end up with things being the way you want them to be, you know, because you may not be playing all at the same time, but you still feel each other's energy and you, you know, and so it, it does fit. And, but it's important. I talked to David Sanborn about this a lot where, you know, when he plays remotely for something, which is a lot, he won't like, you know, uh, get in and nip and tuck and, and do different things. He'll do a complete take and uh, maybe he'll do it again. Or if there's one performance maybe that you really fell in love with and there's one note that's out of tune or one note you squeaked on or yeah. whatever, maybe you might, you know, deal with that. But, you know, it loses the flow maybe or the connection perhaps yeah. uh, if you try to just do a piecemeal, you know. So yeah. that was a big lesson.
3: Yeah. And it also depends on a style of music. I mean, this music was uh, – it was a pleasure to really – the word is kind of sculpt. The whole thing yeah that's what the fun was to sure. just see it slowly come together mm-hmm. piece by piece bit by bit and communicating as we go this kind of you know if it was a, a kind of and i've done records like that too a couple recently uh that aren't out yet you know where everyone's in the same and it's a jazz record and there's very little to go on you play the kind of a loose tune and everybody bounces off each other but that's not this kind of project this one yeah. even if we were in the same room it would really still be the same routine
0: yeah yeah so you guys each engineer your own parts or do you have engineers that you use uh to help you with uh the recording
1: process
4: <laughs>
1: uh, i engineer my own things i i uh, okay. i can't not engineer i had a guy from over <laughs> and um and he said, you know, he wanted to, wanted me to. I'm playing on his record, right? And and uh, I am just so where I'm sitting right now. I, you know, I have my mic. I usually, you know, play into this microphone that I'm speaking into. And on my right hand, I've got my studio. Yeah. So I'm used to playing and having the right hand go to the computer and then playing and having the right hand and just you know going back and forth. Yeah. So this guy comes over and says, "Hey, I'll, you know, go ahead and play and, and I'll engineer." You know, and I said, oh, um, "Okay." And so we, we it lasted about a minute and a half, and. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. This feels too weird. You know, you got to get over here. You know, here's some headphones, yeah. and I'll yeah. just, you know, tell me if you like it or not, and I'll do all the editing. And you know, right. I,
0: <laughs> so. well, yeah, it's not your flow. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Yeah.
2: Hey, speaking of your mic, though, Eric. Uh, I mean, this is for Randy too. You're at two different places. Uh, what kind of microphone are you recording your your sax on,
1: Eric? Uh, I have a, a great Mojave MA300 okay. that uh, is made by uh, David Royer. Royer. Yep, Royer. Mm-hmm. And Royers are famous trumpet minds. Yeah. yeah.
3: Ra- Randy, what do you use for your, your horn parts? Uh, you're going to catch me now because I won't be able to think of it. But it was <laughs> recommended by Dave Bennett, and it'll come to me eventually. Electro It's not electro voice. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, 40, 47. It's not a very expensive mic, but we work for Dave Bennett, Tony Bennett's son, quite yeah at their studio when it was around and he recommended this mic and it's, and it's great for horns.
0: Yeah. I think it's an audio yeah. technica. Oh yeah. Audio, audio technica. Yeah. That's
2: it. See, we tell you we're geeks. It's
3: <laughs> yeah, very good that you could glean that. I can never remember the name.
1: Whatever uh, right. it was, Randy, it sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, It
3: was a great uh, Dave Bennett recommendation. Uh-huh. And unlike Eric, although I've done it in the past, but I've been married to Otter for, my wife, Adarabati, for, well, the uh, 20 years next year. And we developed a thing where she got great at uh, Pro Tools, both recording me, editing, very careful. I'm, I'm just kind of, a in my old age, a clubfoot when it comes to pressing buttons. I screw up all the time. <laughs> I did a couple records like that where I edited myself and... Uh, along with george if it was uh i think 34th and lex i was in all the hotel rooms so i know how to do it but we developed a a process that that makes it go a lot faster she really knows my playing and uh, really knows what sounds good and what doesn't and honest and we just have a a process where it just worked out great i don't think i could have done this one without her since there were some multi-parts and uh it took a little moving and this and that to get everything perfect or as close to perfect as yeah. we could get.
2: Yeah. Yeah, really. Well, all your horn parts uh, on the album are, are beautiful. I mean, it's, the, you know, the album Double D-Line is loaded with 10 tracks. And you guys did a great job. And, you know, and, and it, of course, this is credit goes out to George, too. Uh, but, Eric, can you break down how you recorded all the the, the layering parts? I mean, the horn section. Were, the, you guys were the only horns playing, right? Yep.
1: That's yeah wow
4: exactly
1: uh yeah well actually the way it worked was randy played his parts first and uh sent everything to me mm-hmm. you know most of the tracks i'm playing alto tenor and barry Again, depending on what the song was. And George did most of the horn arrangements was not at all actually. Oh. When I was talking before about recording remotely and, and trying to keep it organic and keep it linear sounding, it's a different story when you're when you're overdubbing the horn section. You know, the horn section's got to be in tune and it's got to be tight and it's got to be, you know, I don't want to say exact. Exact is a, a, a little bit of a harsh term to use, you know, in music, but gotta be exact yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah it's a matter of really listening really listening to how randy was phrasing you know just because a note appears on the paper a certain way it doesn't mean it has to sound that way or or will and so you know we had to breathe together yeah. and we had to cut off together we had to you know articulate sure. you know in a similar way and um and i always have my tuner in front of me so i'm making sure that i'm in tune and i gotta say you know, I'm not just saying this because Randy's listening to me, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, if I played, uh, you know, a note and it lit up perfectly on in my tuner, yeah. I was lining up exactly right with Randy. Randy is uh-huh. an insanely in-tune player, so uh-huh. I wasn't having to, you know, compensate at all. If there was an intonation problem, mm-hmm. it was me, so I had to make sure I, you know, I Best. was spot on.
2: Did that make it less loose for you, or did you just have to
1: focus no. that much more? No, it just it made it so much easier. Yeah. You know, Randy was just playing it so perfect. All I had to do was just, <laughs> you know, match him and not. Yeah you know uh, adjust or compensate in any way just you know match him and i knew it was going to be good
0: (laughs) well like you said everybody wants to do a a record with randy brecker exactly eddie Eddie and i were going to ask randy if we could do one with him later
2: yeah (laughs) but (laughs) after this conversation forget it no more
3: (laughs) but it was it was fun and i have to hand it once again to otto because there were a little uh we started off you know from scratch so i think uh we had to make some decisions uh, mm-hmm. as far as octaves and what went where, and some of the inner parts, was a trumpet or flugel. Yeah. This was an unusual thing. that the Usual, I, I met with parts that might be too high for me, but this was unusual, the fact that, and this worked out so great. I had questions about this when we first started because uh, it's all kind of mid-range and low-trumpety stuff. Mm-hmm. The uh, trumpet section where I was playing Close to the bottom of the trumpet range rather than what's usual on a lot of records at the top of the range.
4: Yeah. So I
3: think that's what kind of makes this record unique in the fact that it's all uh, kind of mid range horn, really tight horn section stuff.
2: Well, I was going to ask you about that because there's a couple tracks that. I really, you know, your register in the trumpet is, is so much lower that I thought, is, is that a flugel? Is he, did he get the flugel out on this track? I couldn't really tell, determine. How, on how many tracks did you pull out the, the flugel horn? Well, you know,
3: I don't remember in, yeah. a, in a nutshell because there were 10 tunes and yeah. th- maybe three or four were horn sections. Mm-hmm. And I think George had originally intended uh, maybe to have trombone on some of the parts. Really? Or he was hearing stuff lower and, and it turned out there wasn't trombone so, uh, I, but a flugelhorn in a low register mm-hmm. sounds good. It filled it kind of filled out two or three of the tunes is, is my memory. Yeah. And uh, just made it sound really full. And I have to compliment Eric. I love the sax section when that berry and the pops out. I mean, it's just amazing. That's some of my favorite stuff on the record. Oh, yeah. We I love- was actually
1: talking to George about that, you know, when, when uh, yeah, I turned in all the berry parts. And uh, he started mixing, he sent me back some roughs, and he said, what do you think? I said, it's good, you know, I want to goose the berry up a little bit, and he sent it to me again, and I, he said, what do you think now? I said, good, you might want to goose that berry up again, maybe a little <laughs> bit more, <laughs> yeah.
4: That's a lot
2: of work, man. I want people to hear that. Come on, exactly. Right, right. you know. You know, there's a, a track that, uh, that sort of stands out with the Barry. I believe it's it's called Fast Lane, and uh, and you know, I, this is one where that it, it's just really funky. You know, what is it about a Barry Sax that just makes everything look funky? It sounds <laughs> makes it sound like you know Tower of Power, you know Doc, you know, or something. <laughs> Everyone's got that really gritty thing. You know, it, it it's, it's it must be fun to to add those parts,
1: right? Oh man. Oh yeah, and I, I saved I saved that for last because I wanted to have that I wanted to have the section to blend with and Randy. Yeah. So that was actually the last bit of the horns to come on and, and it. And in some tunes, it's kind of like you know how an organ player is kind of you know kicking the bass with his foot, or the left hand is kind of little hits, <laughs> little anticipations here and there. And I could tell that that was what George was thinking yeah. when he wrote some of those arrangements. And and so the, the Barry parts are really, in some cases, really very much that kind of left hand little you know. Him, you know, yeah. and it almost sounds like—is he early or is he—is he drunk or what's going on here? You know, <laughs> and did he really mean that? <laughs> yeah, did he mean that? You know, he was really- he, <laughs> he, he
4: was drunk. Wait a second.
1: <laughs> exactly, I did. I actually did call him and say, "So this is intentional, right? <laughs> did you really mean this? <laughs> <laughs> is this a joke? Come on!" That's fine. Oh, man, oh,
2: that's great. Hey, Randy, you know the first yeah. three tracks of the of the album uh, on Double Dealing are really really fun you, you guys start out with a track called Three Deuces and then you have Fast Lane and of course the one we just talked about with the really funky you know Barry is, is that Fast Lane and you guys seem to split the solos really evenly they're very balanced I, I really like this I'm like it's, it's almost like you can't even tell when you although they're different instruments and you're hearing different different intonations you can't even tell it's the whole like the transitions the transitions are yeah. just so yeah. beautiful yeah and uh, so so how were the structured parts? I mean, you talked a little earlier on on uh, writing every single note or giving yourself space. Talk to us about how much latitude that you actually gave each other to improvise and, you know, to have some space.
3: Well, they were kind of, the space was in the arrangements, but uh, since Eric wasn't on there yet, I had to kind of make, and, and maybe I talked to him a couple times, but I don't think I did. I think I just went ahead and thought what might have, sound good with the trumpet is first on certain tunes It'd be better if uh, on certain other tunes if the saxophone uh, started and i followed and then we all kind of simultaneously got together and and so it might sound good to have some fills here that's the way it generally worked yeah. uh, it was like putting a giant puzzle together but i when you hear the thing it just come alive you know and after i uh, particularly after eric played and and put all those great saxophone parts on and and you know i was playing basically with sequences with like the baritone part and what was challenging was hoping that i was putting stuff in the right place in the right octave some things yeah. i wasn't too sure about yeah. but uh, i think generally we all made some really good decisions uh yeah. some were simultaneous and and after a conference call and some were just oh it's you know, professionalism, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of this stuff and we kind of knew what to do.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, on most of it, uh, Randy played first and it always made sense. Oh, this makes sense for me to go, you know, first. Or,
0: yeah.
1: I remember on um, this one tune on the record that Randy wrote called Sandbop, and, um, and Randy just plays this killing solo. I mean, really, really does. And then it's like, okay. I got it, sure, sure. You know, you just like play the history of the trumpet, and then now my turn. Great.
3: Well, you did pretty darn good, dear young man.
1: Uh, well, and then there's a <laughs> tune. Interestingly, there's a tune that uh, George and I wrote for Chuck called "Mind the Fire," and yeah. the ballad. And we wrote it here at my place, and we just wrote it on piano. I didn't really I play, but didn't record it. And he says, "Hey, you know, do a scratch take. Just you know, play it." just so we had something to go by. Right. And so I, I came out here and uh, I, I played it and just kind of put it down and and um, played the whole thing. And I sent it to him and, and George really liked it. He said, man, we're not changing that. That's, that's, you know, I said, okay, well, that sounds good. I guess, you know, yeah. and then we yeah. thought, well, we got to, obviously we have to incorporate Randy. And so it was a matter you would never have thought this would have worked. It's one of the cool you know, organic things about this record. But Randy also played it down. A couple of places we chose, okay, we'll keep this part from mm-hmm, Randy, keep this part from me. But then towards the latter part of the song, uh, we're both playing the melody and we're both interpreting it. And we both played it uh, without hearing the other person's interpretation See, wow. and, that's, right. that's
2: that's amazing I was <laughs> yeah, gonna ask uh, about when you guys you know played in unison the the notes doubling up on and I'm like thinking how the heck did they do that you know yeah
1: right yeah it's kind of a case in uh, this one anyway where where normally that wouldn't work you know two very in- different interpretations of a ballad melody how could that you know but it died. it did so well, that know, goes, goes
3: back died. to us having a history together so I know Eric's playing really well as he does mine. So uh, I could imagine what he would sound like to an extent. Then he always sounds a million times better than I have in my head. And this was a perfect example of this whole record. You know, it just goes back to us playing together quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, this next question kind of, lies right along those lines uh, track four randy is is mind of fire and it's it's this one's dedicated to chuck Loeb. and, and tell us about this track i mean it, at times on this ballad you guys are both playing like i mentioned a second ago identical solo notes in unison and, and then break out into different parts and harmonies very tasteful yeah
3: he really is well it's a beautiful tune and we yeah. love chuck and it was really heartfelt that's one of my favorite tunes on the record and uh it was just heartfelt man we just both played what we felt and uh, we were in the same uh, zone, so to speak,
1: uh-huh. and
3: it came out just perfectly. I think
1: I'm yeah. really proud that we do have a tribute to Chuck on this record. Like Randy says, he was a really, really close friend of both of ours. And yeah, I feel very proud that we have this to uh, to offer up to Chuck.
0: Oh, well, hey Eddie, Eric, Randy, guys, we want to take a break and uh, let's let's play a track from Double Dealin'. We'll play a sample, um, and this uh, track that we've picked out is one called Fast Lane, and it's from our guest today, Randy Brecker. And Eric Marienthal on Inside Music Cast.
2: The track on the project is habanero, or habanero. Yes. Normally <laughs> I say habanero, but it, it's a great fusion conclusion, if you want to call it that. You know, now that this is in the bag, and, and even though double dealing, you know, won't deliver until September, um, do you guys, uh, you, you guys enjoy it enough to say that? you might do another collaboration. I mean, th- I mean, that leads me to my, f- the the second part of the question, which is out of the 10 tracks that you ended up with, was there more music that you developed for this project that were sidelined?
1: Uh, I don't know,
3: Randy. Um, yeah. how, I don't think yeah, so. Don't George know. had one of, uh, of my other tunes in mind, but we ended up mm-hmm. not doing that one. And I, I, uh, we just honed on these. And one is actually by, uh, Ada, uh, jet lag, which I like also very much. She, uh, had that sequence and I just thought it would fit and George really liked it. So actually she wrote yeah. one of the tunes, but they all just, you know, this is one of, one of those records I have to say it that you can listen to from beginning to end and it all just oh, yeah. fits together perfectly, you know, and never, there's never a dull second on the thing. And, and you can't say that about a lot of uh, yeah. uh, full length CDs
1: anymore. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I mean, if there was a challenge on this record, it was uh, sequencing for you know it's as far as i you know because i think that any one of the 10 tunes could have led off the record if you ask me i mean really you know it's true i I mean i i dig it it's really every tune and yeah oddest tune is is killing and can't say enough about george witty i mean he just really you know brought so much of this music to life Mm -hmm. and and he's just really his name should really yeah. by all, by all uh, rights you know be as, as prominent as Randy and I because he was just such an integral part of this music
3: yeah yeah. He, there's no one else that does can do what he does yeah. simply put
0: well hey guys let's pause for a second and let, let's listen to a sample of this track "Habanero," and this is uh, from the upcoming album Double Dealin on Seanakee Records from our guest today Eric Marienthal and Randy Brecker on Inside Music Cast The album, is, of course, is double-dealing. It's Amshanaki uh, Records. It's going to be out, I think, it's September 11th is, yeah. the, is the release date. And uh, I just have one off-the-wall, non-musical question to ask you guys, both of you. Um, and I ask, we've asked this every once in a while. But if you guys have both been immersed in music all your life. If you think back, and if music hadn't panned out for your careers, what do you think you would have done outside of music or as a, sec- as a career if, if music wasn't your career?
3: Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll answer. I was kind of predestined. I always say this. When I was two weeks old, my father, who was also a musician, a lawyer, but a musician first, uh-huh. great songwriter, when I was two weeks old, he wrote a tune called The Hottest Man in Town. <laughs> and in there, the lyrics said you were going to play a horn, maybe a hot fife, and love music even more than your wife. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That's cool. And that's not necessarily true. She's not here right now, but I do love my wife equally. Uh, but I was predestined. It was music in the house and I never really thought of anything else. But yeah. in at IU, I did end up, uh, and I pro- might have continued this, I enjoyed, communi- it was called communications, radio, right. TV, yep. maybe journalism, something in that area. I like uh, writing and, and producing stuff. Uh, that that seemed interesting to me, but I always fell back to music. I tried to do other things. Dad was always, Oh, it's a hard way to make a living, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> right. But right. It, it, uh, it was pre-chosen so to speak.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very good. How about you, Eric? Yeah. I'm sitting here talking, listening to Randy speak about it and I'm having a hard time. I mean, it's like when you're, you know, <laughs> I started playing when I was nine years old and, and, uh, you know, my teacher, was you know encouraging, and then I got into junior high school, and that teacher was encouraging. And it's like, you know, if you're a high school baseball player and you you know you're you're getting strokes for it, you just kind of keep going. And you know, you know, why stop? I mean, I'm, you know, you're you're things are kind of moving in the right direction, and people are patting you on the back. So um, I don't know, like Randy, I you know, if if for whatever reason you know music didn't work out, I could have easily seen myself. You know, being in this business on some level, either as an yeah. engineer or poser. Well, or,
2: being that or, you don't let anybody else engineer your stuff. Yeah, hello, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm already doing that. What am I talking about? <laughs>
2: oh, that's funny. Well, that's great. Great.
0: Well, <laughs> obviously, this project's coming out in September. Do you guys have uh, either one of you have anything else uh, that you're currently working on that you can talk about or uh, other projects in the hopper?
3: Ready? Well, I, there's <laughs> something, uh, uh, just kind of coincidentally, the way things all worked out, I might as well mention this. Uh, it's an archival Brecker Brothers uh, uh, record from 1980. Awesome. From Hamburg, Germany, that's just called Live and Unreleased. Okay. And it really is live. I, I was reminded about that gig. We were on a tour in 1980, and we barely made this gig. So you can kind of tell, maybe I can tell anyway, it was a fast setup and play, and then we left <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was broadcast on NDR back in 1980, which is a German uh, network, yeah. and they found the tape. It's quite good. It's, uh, it's just all us and our crazy
1: best back in 1980, so yeah. that's available now. And, uh, that's very cool.
4: Yeah,
1: uh, with the electric band actually, Chick about a month ago, Chick called Dave and I and Frank and John uh, on a conference call. Just you know, picked up the phone, and he already had the conference call set up. We all just. Said hello and realized we were all talking to each other. <laughs> and he said, uh, we, we did a lot of touring uh, just two years ago. And we had quite a bit planned this year, too, actually. But um, we recorded every, uh, every concert. Bernie Kirsch records everything. And Chick was super excited. And he said, Man, I've been listening to those live tapes we did, and this stuff is killing. I want to fire up the band. I want to do a new record, and I want to also put out you know, a live record. Now I own the masters to, from all the GRP records, so mm-hmm. I, we're going to put that out, in a, You know, or Concord's going to put it out as a box set. I think it's Concord. And uh, he was just so pumped about it. So, so he was talking about next year. You know, clearly this year right. is kind of a so it uh it wouldn't surprise me a bit if um you see a lot of electric band things going on in 21 and 22.
2: very cool very very Cool. cool Well Randy and Eric, it's been uh, it's been fun, man, chatting with you guys, laughing a little yeah, bit and absolutely and talking about this wonderful project. It's called Double Dealing and yep. it uh releases September eleventh. Yep. And uh all we all me and Rick can say is it's outstanding. Yeah, you it will is. not go wrong. Get your hands on this when it comes out. Yep. And uh, you play it from like Randy said, from beginning top to bottom. Top yeah. to bottom.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> thanks <laughs> thank guys. Thank you very much, Eddie. thank you too, Rick. Really yeah. appreciate it. No yeah, problem. You guys thanks are guys. great. Thanks, man. All thanks right, take me. care you guys. We'll
2: talk to you later.
3: Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Special thanks to Randy Brecker and Eric Marienthal for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is a collaborative effort of music lovers worldwide, and our team includes Brian Pearson in Chicago, Kim Riley in South Florida, Scott Gross in Tampa, Mikhail Engstrom in Stockholm, Sweden, Scott Sheriff in Nashville, Don Brightup in Los Angeles, Loretta Sassaman in Seattle, Yinka Oyelese in New Jersey, and Node Legere in Paris, France. Be sure to check out our newly rebranded Inside MusicCast website that includes a fresh look, guest search options, a new podcast audio player, downloadable episodes, Inside MusicCast radio, and our new studio tours feature with photos and information about some of our guest studios, workspaces, and gear. Find it all at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside MusicCast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for your support of Inside MusicCast.